The Ref Radio Sports Network is powered statewide by the insurance adjusters at Brown O'Haver. Fire, wind, theft, or tornado, we can help. Call 405-735-5510. It's time for the Steelman and Thune at Noon. With Mike Steely and Parker Thune. Hit the guys up on the Riverwind Casino calling line at 405-329-9000. Text the show on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line at 405-651-3439. Live from the Buffalo Wild Wing Studios, here's Mike Steely and Parker Thune. Well, day two of the week without Steely. Here on the Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Parker Thune here with you, as always, alongside the Drake, Drake Dyken, the man of many, and I do mean many, talents. Drake, how we doing on this Tuesday? I'm excellent. How are you today, Parker? You know, I've had worse Tuesdays. I've had better Tuesdays, okay. to be sure. But, okay. You know, today feels like a solid 6 out of 10. Okay. At least the temperature is nice outside. The temperature is nice, but it's supposed to get really cold tonight. Tonight. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it's supposed to drop like 40 degrees. Sheesh, man. Which, Can't have nice things for very long here. Well, I mean, it is much more in line with what you expect in the middle of, or late February, right, in Oklahoma, is for it to be in the 40s, so. I suppose so. Well, I'm still riding the emotional high, as are many of what happened on Saturday at Gallagher-Iba Arena. And I don't mind playing this again because it's never going to get old. What a phenomenal call by our friend and colleague Toby Rowland as Javian McCollum sunk the pokes in the final bedlam tilt of the Big 12 era. McCollum, left wing, he'll drive it with four. Cut off, back up with three, got to get a shot up. Three-pointer at the buzzer for the win! It's good! It's good! It's good! JV and McCollum wins Bedlam! JV and McCollum wins Bedlam! A three-pointer on the wing! And Oklahoma gets out the brooms in Stillwater! Now that right there, obviously the most memorable moment of Oklahoma's basketball season thus far. Huge win for so many reasons. One, it almost, almost cements your status as a field of 68 team. I think the Sooners still need one more win. There's certainly one more win on the schedule at either, well, at either Texas or at home against Cincinnati. The Sooners face Iowa State tomorrow night up at Hilton Coliseum. Then they come home to face Houston, the number one team in the nation. Look, odds are they're probably not winning either of those games. We'd all love to see an upset, but in all likelihood, Oklahoma ends up on the short end of the stick in both of those contests. Those are two very, very good basketball teams. Iowa State looks like a program with the capacity to go Sweet 16, maybe Elite 8. Houston might win the national championship. I mean, they are an excellent basketball team, and if you spend any amount of time watching them, you come to realize, okay, they're, they're just built a little different. They're built a little bit. I mean, the thing with Houston is the thing that is true with basically all of Kelvin Sampson's teams that you've seen in college basketball ever is that they play great defense. And the thing with defense in basketball is if you play it with discipline, you play it with effort, 
whenever he was here, it was called Heart Hustle and Hardwood. It's something that doesn't take a day off if you have the right guys in there. And not only does he have the right guys in there, but he has guys on that squad that can straight up fill it up as well. And that was whenever he had his deadliest combinations here at OU, is whenever he had teams that could score but also had the right mentality defensively in that 02-03 era. The overarching point here is that Oklahoma faces as daunting a week ahead as they will or have all season. Iowa State and Houston, to face two top 10 teams within the span of a week isn't unheard of, least of all in the Big 12, but still, it's going to be a very difficult task to even split the week, to win one of those basketball games. The Sooners are certainly capable. I think we have seen that when they're playing their best basketball, they're capable of hanging with anybody. We saw that for the majority of the contest up at Allen Fieldhouse against Kansas, but Obviously, they have their deficiencies right now. John Hughley on the shelf for Valdo Sorez, less than 100%. And so in the paint is really where Oklahoma faces the steepest challenge going up against a program like Iowa State or a program like Houston. But the overarching point here is this. Yeah, it's going to be a tough week ahead. Yeah, you might go 0-2. But that win on Saturday against Oklahoma State, and I kind of touched on this towards the end of the show yesterday, it really feels like, I use the word galvanizing. I think this has the chance to be a galvanizing win for Oklahoma because I'll be completely candid. Some of the stuff I'd heard internally, just in talking with sources, people close to the program, kind of felt like there was some disconnect. A lot of guys on a lot of different wavelengths as January turned over into February. And I think you kind of saw that manifest on the hardwood. The Sooners were playing really streaky basketball. Uh, you, I mean, you really saw a microcosm of that in the play of J.V. McCollum, who when he's on his game, he's Oklahoma's best scorer. But there were numerous games early on in conference play towards the midpoint of the season, especially where he would just go completely cold. And the Sooners had to make up that offense elsewhere. Milos Yuzan, the freshman, or I'm sorry, the sophomore. Uh, he's he, he hasn't completely buried some of the freshman mistakes that we saw from him a year ago. He's been prone to turning the ball over at times. Otega Owe has had his ups and downs. All in all, it's been a season of peaks and valleys for Oklahoma. And real inconsistency. Once they got out of non-conference play with that 12-1 and mark, they were ranked number 9 in the country. Things looked great, but we knew things were going to get more difficult once the Big 12 slate arrived, and things did for Oklahoma. But, again, if you watch that game on Saturday and you just watch the way that team and those players reacted to Javian McCollum's shot, which, first off, amazing shot, right? That's the most low-IQ observation from Saturday that you could possibly come away with, but it bears repeating. Amazing shot in a moment where especially given the greater context of where Oklahoma was at as far as their season being at a crossroads, the Sooners needed that shot in the worst way. But to see the way that J.V. McCollum turned around and yelled, go home to that Oklahoma State bench, Otega Owe, John with the student section, Suarez waving goodbye to the crowd, the way the Sooners conducted themselves, after that shot went in, 
in conjunction with one another, in concert with one another. To me, what that suggested is that if only for a brief moment in time, and again, a lot rides on what happens this week as far as whether the momentum can be sustained, but if only for a brief moment in time, it felt like all of the issues that have plagued this team over the course of Big 12 conference play were buried under the tide for a second, and they were all in with each other, and they were stoked, and they were confident, and they had that swagger in that moment that we saw in non-conference play but haven't really seen in Big 12 play, at least not on a consistent basis to this point. Well, and the biggest thing, I think, from Bedlam is it can be a galvanizing win, sure, but if you lose that game then it kind of starts to unravel on you. I think that's the biggest fear of what can happen if things don't go your way in Stillwater over the weekend is if it goes the way of the pokes, like it almost did. And odds, like percentage-wise on that shot, I haven't seen what the – I'm sure there's some type of odds out there in terms of what percentage shot that was by J-Mac on Saturday. I'm sure they weren't high. (laughs) But if that shot doesn't go in, it's easy. That descent that you were talking about, yeah, it's easy to see a little bit more disbelief creeping into the team, which the road that you have ahead, you can't afford to have any of that. You need all of your bullets. And listen, they're shorthanded in terms of, you already talked about Hughley and there's a great opportunity now, you know, whenever there's a great misfortune, there's always a great opportunity. There's a great opportunity for a guy like Luke Northweather. He had a big shot on Saturday. He had too. a very big shot on Saturday is as Toby calls him, uh, the great Luke of the North, uh, <laughs> is this is a guy that redshirted last year, which it's very rare. And as you know, and anybody out there listening, it is very rare in college basketball anymore if you have a kid redshirt as a freshman. Redshirted last year, has played minimally this year, but like in terms of a pure jump shooter, might be the best three-point shooter on the team, percentage-wise. Has that type of ceiling as far as a perimeter shooter. All that's to say is, you have an opportunity with a guy like Luke Northweather to really build for your future as well. And, yes, Hughley makes this team better because of everything that he's able to do in terms of facilitating from the high post and be able to throw skip passes, all of that. But OU still has an opportunity ahead of themselves, even without Hughley, possibly for the rest of the season, most likely for the rest of the season. And, and if you if you lose in Bedlam, that kind of gets washed away. And here's what I want to see from here on out from Oklahoma's basketball team, from Porter Moser's bunch. I want to see them embrace who they are. And what they are right now is a small ball team. I mean, let's call it like it is. You're not going to be able to bully your way to wins in the Big 12. And so you have to play with swagger. You have to play with a little bit of an edge. You have to play, I think, that, like the most conspicuous, uh, most 
visible recent example of this would be when Fairly Dickinson knocked off Purdue last year in the tournament. Purdue had seven foot four Zach Eady, the reigning yep. player of the year on their roster, and Fairly Dickinson didn't have anybody taller than six foot five. But the reason Fairly Dickinson won that day instead of a number one seed with the Naismith player of the year on their roster is because they didn't try to be anything they weren't. They embraced who they were, their identity as a basketball program, and they played with an edge. They played with swagger. They said, we're going to play our game and we're going to see if you can stop it rather than trying to play your game along with you because we know we're not going to beat you at your game. We don't have the horses to do that. Which the attitude, the edge that you talked about Saturday is exactly the style of basketball that Porter Moser wants his team to play with. Yes. Even if it's he's talked about, it's all about how it is that these guys approach it attitude-wise. If you go down the court and you take a good shot and you have high energy on a possession, but it doesn't go in, he doesn't care. It's all about the energy, the effort that you put in, and that's what he wants to be consistent. Yeah, And, and it, like we talked about with Houston, that's what makes Houston so freaking good because the effort, the hustle, it doesn't get turned off. And the one thing that so many fans have critiqued Moser and this squad on is the fact that they seem to lack an identity. I think the identity is there. Again, I just want to see Oklahoma embrace it. I want them to take and apply what they seemingly rediscovered on Saturday in Bedlam. And I want to see them give Iowa State and Houston hell for 40 minutes of basketball with that identity. And look, again, I don't have the expectation that Oklahoma's going to win either of those games. But show me something this week. Show me that you have an identity. Show me that you're willing to embrace the identity. Show me that you're not going to try to be a team that you're not. Show me that you're going to be content to be who you are and take that game to the opposition rather than t- trying to beat them at theirs. All right, we're just getting started here on a Tuesday. Parker Thune alongside Drake Dyken. Steely and Thune at noon. Sands Steely continues coming up next. Hey, 1235, uh, we're going to welcome Rivals National Recruiting Director Adam Gorney to this show to discuss the rankings updates across the recruiting industry this week. What he thinks of some of Oklahoma's commits and top targets and much more. So looking forward to that conversation. Once again, I am a man of the people. The people want to hear the Dave Hunziker call. We will play that again coming up next. We'll also talk about Eli Drinkwitz because that's another thing that the text line is up in arms about. So we'll cover all that and much more moving forward here on Steely and Thune at noon. This is the ref, the Homa Sooner fans. This hour of the Steelman and Thune at Noon Show is brought to you by Lasher Home Comfort Systems, family-owned and operated and serving the OKC Metro since 2007. For all your heat and air needs, call Lasher's at 405-579-3113. Back with you here on a much younger version of Steely and Thune at Noon on this Tuesday. Steely is out all week on vacation. Parker Thune alongside Drake Dyken. The jack-of-all-trades here on staff at the Ref Sports Radio Network. The home of Sooner fans. 
Oh, we got a lot of ground to cover today. Once again, coming up next, Adam Gorney is going to join the show, Rivals National Director of Recruiting, to talk some of Oklahoma's top 2025 targets and the shuffle in the national rankings earlier today. Kevin Sperry was a guy that took a big jump. Uh, more jumps are on the way for some of Oklahoma's guys that rank outside the top 250. A couple more that I expect to get a fourth star here in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but we'll enjoy that conversation with Adam, no doubt. Uh, because I am a man of the people, once again, per the request of many on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439, here is how the silencer in Stillwater sounded on Saturday, if you were a poke. McCollum with seven seconds near midcourt. Defended by Keller. Hesitates. Now drives it left, but cut off. Three seconds. McCollum, left wing, three-pointer at the buzzer is good, and Oklahoma wins. And after hitting that shot, McCollum stood in front of the press and said, that's what we like. We like that silence. And there was plenty of it in what had been a raucous Gallagher-Iba up until McCollum stepped to the wing and drilled that overtime three-pointer to completely sink the pokes once and for all. Uh, <laughs> Jake's pulling up the curb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I have to add something to this. Just okay, please. Like, I have to wait for the YouTube ad. Oh, by all means. Uh, John and Blanchard says, sweet justice from the sports gods for the screw job in Bedlam on the gridiron. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if that's justice. Would you rather win? Would you rather beat Oklahoma State in football or would you rather beat Oklahoma State in basketball? I think most would say football. All right, you want to hear this version of it? Oh, boy. All right, here we go. McCollum with seven seconds near midcourt. Defended by Keller. Hesitates. Now drives it left, but cut off. Three seconds. McCollum, left wing, three-pointer at the buzzer is good. And Oklahoma wins. Oh, man. Never gets old, does it? John and Blanchard added, I'd rather win in football, but that was sweet. Yeah, it was sweet. Undeniably so. Especially because he was so close to stepping out of bounds, man. So close. So much about that shot was improbable, yet it goes down, keeps Oklahoma's tournament hopes very much alive and kicking, and sends Oklahoma State back to, well, I don't even know what you call it, the cesspool of mediocrity, I suppose. Because <laughs> they're not terrible. No. Like, they're not terrible, but they're stunningly mediocre. Uh, yeah, historically, like, OSU has a good basketball program, much better program than what they have in football, historically speaking. But it's oh, especially with the way things went on the gridiron this year, you wanted to stuff a little brother in the locker, as Steely would say, and that's exactly what both basketball teams did for us this year. Slim Brady says, man, I hope Steely is doing all right and not out yelling at the clouds. Uh, there is zero doubt 
that if there is a person that is spending his entire vacation time yelling at the clouds, it is Mike Steely. Oh, man. Have we heard heard where uh, he's spending his time this week? I don't think he was planning on going anywhere. See, that's the thing about Steely. He loves a staycation. He loves a staycation. Generally, and it's not without exception, but generally when Steely takes time off, he doesn't actually go anywhere. You know who is does that a lot? It's Teddy Lehman. Oh, yeah. I mean, Teddy's he's only in here in studio like yeah. a day or two a week. Well, no, no, no. I'm just talking about when he does take vacation days, there will be a lot of times to where he'll come back in and I'll see him. I'm like, oh, how was your vacation? Oh, well, I didn't really leave anywhere. <laughs> like, so you just took... Vacation days to take vacation days? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good talk, bud. That's an Okie. Doesn't really have any. That's how you know you're an Okie. When you don't really have any desire to be anywhere but the state of Oklahoma. And both Steely and Teddy are consummate Okies. Well, Teddy also has the same reclusive gene that Mike Steely has as well. (laughs) I suppose that's true. We do work with two of the most reclusive individuals in Oklahoma media. It it is quite the sight to see. I know Toby loves talking about this, but every every year, OU Texas, it is, regardless of the weather outside, Teddy, after the game, throws on a hat, puts on a long sleeve shirt, puts hood up, wears sunglasses, so that nobody approaches him within the State Fair Park and asks him for a picture, asks him for an autograph, anything like that. Teddy just wants to be left alone. So every time I hear about Teddy being at an event, I love throwing it out there to people. of, Oh, be sure to go up to Ted and ask him for a picture, an autograph, anything like that. Because it is Ted's worst nightmare. He's a good sport about it. But he <laughs> he does not love being in public and having to deal with people in general. Jeff from OKC says, Steely might be on vacation, but Uncle was working this morning with Toby and TJ. That's Did true. We got an Uncle appearance? Yeah, this morning, yeah. You want me to try and track that down? <sighs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ask TJ in this next break what, uh, what segment that was, and I'll see if I can clip it out. Yeah, by all means. I wonder how that went. Why did he call in on a random Tuesday? <sighs> I, that I don't know. Typically, when it's not football season, Uncle is even more reclusive than Steely and Ted. uh, Toby and TJ show, T-Row in the Morning show, every day. It is a little bit of talk about everything mixed in with some sports talk every once in a while. So, there is no telling. There was a big conversation yesterday about how how many crackers... TJ will eat. With yes, this conversation has spilled over onto social media. Oh, yeah. 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 And 21 crackers is a lot for one bowl of soup. Half a sleeve of crackers is a whole lot to me. I actually, I'm on TJ's side with this one. 20 crackers to a bowl, that feels like a solid ratio. It's like four or five servings of crackers right there. What's a serving of crackers? Like five. I, I I decide what a serving of crackers is, Drake. By all the one, means, yeah. the one eating the crackers nobody's, decides nobody's what a serving is. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Exactly. I'll get all the carbohydrates I want. Thank you very much. Simple or not. I'm sure they. I'm sure at some point this week we're going to get TJ's detailed review of Fiddler on the Roof. That's right. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if Uncle wasn't chiming in on the uh, 
crackers and soup debate. So we'll see what, what necessarily. Uncle yeah, if they're was. talking crackers and soup, yeah, that does sound like a conversation into which Uncle would have some input. Right. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, Adam Gorney, Rivals National Recruiting Director, will join the show, talk about the national perspective on some of Oklahoma's top targets and commits in the 2025 class and much more. Keep it right here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. This hour of the Steelman and Thune at Noon Show is brought to you by Lasher Home Comfort Systems, family-owned and operated and serving the OKC Metro since 2007. For all your heat and air needs, call Lasher's at 405-579-3113. This show rolls on. You're listening to The Ref Parker Thune alongside Drake Dyke in this hour of the program. Brought to you by Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Whether you're looking to repair, replace, or maintain your air conditioning and heating system, call Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Family owned and operated, servicing the greater Oklahoma City area since 2007. 405 579 3113 for all your heating and air needs. With that, we head to the Riverwind Casino jackpot line and welcome to the show, National Director of Recruiting Adam Gorney for Rivals.com. Adam, man, appreciate the time. Uh, obviously a big day in the recruiting industry, a revamped set of rankings for the 2025 class. And as far as Oklahoma is concerned, uh, it would feel irresponsible to start anywhere but the quarterback position. The Sooners have a longtime pledge at QB in the 25 cycle in Kevin Sperry out of Midwest City, Oklahoma, a Texas transplant. Uh, who started out his high school career down in Prosper in the DFW area. But, Adam, just from a national perspective, what is the opinion on Sperry, where he sits right now relative to some of the other signal callers in the class and where he has the potential to get to by the end of the cycle? Yeah, Hey, guys. Um, and sorry, I'm battling a cold here, so if I start coughing uncontrollably, please uh, bear with me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah Sperry's a very talented kid. There's no doubt about it. And, What's really impressive is that Oklahoma um, targeted him early, brought him in early, um, didn't really play a lot of games, and, and wanted his commitment. Um, you know, a decently sized kid that can make, you know, pretty much every throw that out there and is a great decision maker. And so, you know, everybody at this level, you know, he's about 155 in the country, something around there. Um, everybody at that level can make the deep ball, can throw into tight windows, all the sort of cliches you hear, but it's all about decision-making. Um, and he's a really smart kid, surrounded by a lot of talent at Carl Albert, um, which helps him because he's going to be surrounded by a lot of talent at Oklahoma. So a uh, very smart kid, not like crazy super dynamic like some other quarterbacks in this class, but makes, makes all the throws, makes great decisions, um, is very coachable, and Oklahoma wanted him early, and so they got him, and, and he's a very talented kid. Adam Gorney is our guest, National Director of Recruiting for Rivals.com. Now, Adam, one of the guys that is and will continue to be in the conversation as potentially the top defensive player in the country is a guy that most across the industry concur have the best shot at for the moment. That would be Jonah Williams, the five-star safety at a Galveston Ball High School down in South Texas. Now, uh, again, just from a national perspective here, thoughts on Jonah, how unique he is in the grand scheme of things, and what the Sooners are going to have to do over the next few months to maintain their lead in the race for his pledge. Yeah, he's unique in the sense that he has a linebacker frame but plays safety and plays it really well. I mean, he's a big kid. There's no doubt um, that, you know, I talked to him just a few weeks ago um, at the Pylon LA tournament, and he basically – 
a year ago, he was like, I want to play safety. I, I'm, I'm a safety. That's what I do. Now he's like, well, maybe I could move down the linebacker. I think he's starting to see that, you know, even as a junior in high school still, he is uh, quite big um, and could grow even more. So whether he's a big safety that can move or an outside linebacker who could really move and cover ground, um, he's going to be a really special prospect. He is uh, he's great looking. Um, he moves really well. He likes to hit on tape. Um, and he's a smart kid. You could just tell by being around him. He's a good leader. Kind of has a little cockiness to him, which you like, as a defensive guy who thinks, um, you know, he can go out there and do a lot of things. This is a very similar situation uh, to a slow tight end who should be an offensive tackle and be really, really great. Yeah. Um, I think Williams, I'm not going to tell him what to do, and <laughs> that's not my job, but if he moves down to outside linebacker, he'd be phenomenal because he has the speed the size and that ranginess to be really good. Now, Adam, you've obviously been in the game longer than I have, so you have more of a breadth of understanding as to where this tight end class in 2025 ranks in terms of uh, the best in recent memory. But as far as I can recall, this 2025 class is as strong as any I've seen at the tight end position. Oklahoma very much in the mix uh, for four of the best in the country. Nate Roberts just down the road in Washington, Oklahoma. Desan Brame from the Wichita area, Lincoln Cure out of Goodland, Kansas, and then Chase Lofton from Omaha, Nebraska. Oklahoma would certainly love to end up with two of those four. Which of those two do you think have the best chance of landing at Oklahoma? And if you had to kind of pick the four in order, best to well, I, best to worst sounds weird because they're all really good. But like uh, one through four, how would you rank them? Yeah, I'll, I'll start there. One through four, I would go Cure, um, Brame, Roberts, and then Lofton. But it's very close. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about just like, okay, I've seen this guy at a tournament. I like him a little bit more than the other guy. And then I see someone else at another tournament. And, and I think, um, you know, that's going to be key as, as you look here. I think Roberts is probably an Ohio State lean right now. You know, I mean, he has every reason to go to Oklahoma. He's from down the road. You know, the brother thing, the whole thing is, is going on there. But it just seems like Oklahoma leads for him. Cure is, is an interesting kid. He's from, like, really a small town in Kansas. And when I say small, I mean really small. And it just seems like uh, Kansas State has sort of taken a, a big edge there, just the comfort level. But that's Certainly not counting out Oklahoma. I think Lofton and Brame are the two to watch for Oklahoma. The interesting thing with this tight end class, um, and I want to write it in a delicate way, is that um, you know Brame played with Avery Johnson in high school, and then Lincoln Cure could go there. So could Kansas State actually get those two? Would they even go to play with each other? That's kind of an interesting storyline. But in terms of Oklahoma, I think Lofton – and Brain would be the best two options right now for them. And they definitely have to get one of them. They can't let four guys from that close get away. Um, and in terms of how good this class is, it's phenomenal. And it's not only those guys. I mean, those are four of the best ones. But Elias Williams we have is the number one guy. He's 6'8", so he can really move. He's a basketball player. He's committed to Georgia right now. Um, but this is going to be one of those classes where – you know, in every trend, tight end isn't as important as it used to be. 
But a lot of these guys are just big pass catchers on the outside. They're not really like a sixth offensive lineman. They're going to they're gonna split out. They're going to use that size and athleticism down the field. Yeah, now, Adam, I want to rewind a little bit uh, and go back to the 2024 class for just a second because one guy that OU fans were certainly thrilled to get in their class midsummer, but who opened a lot of eyes nationally with his performance at the All-American Game in Orlando was Sierra Canyon, Chatsworth native, Eugene Brooks. Well, I guess he actually hails from the Vegas area, but played his last couple years of high school ball out there in Chatsworth, California at Sierra Canyon, uh, one of the powerhouse high schools in that vicinity. Now, you're local to... Uh, the California area. And so as somebody who has seen Brooks in person, probably more so uh, than the average analyst and evaluator that only was able to take note of what he did in Orlando and didn't really have as much background for what he brings to the table from an athletic perspective. If you could just kind of outline Brooks's background and the way that you've seen him grow and develop over the last few years to get to the point to where he is today, uh, definitely in contention as one of the top five, top ten offensive guards retrospectively in that 2024 cycle. Yeah, what's most impressive is that he went to a school where tuition is $44,100 a year. Oh, so, boy. <laughs> that, that was uh, most impressive. But in terms of Brooks as a player, um, when he was a young kid in Vegas, he was just big, but he wasn't really in shape. And so you kind of wondered what you were going to get from him three or four years down the road. He had been in that, uh, you know, in the same group of kids as Javante Barnes and Darnell Washington and those kids. And so you knew those guys at Desert Pines, um, you know, trained really well. He was around really talented players from an early age. Um, But, you know, the, the upbringing wasn't really there for him, that structure. So, um, when he moved to California, it was a phenomenal move for him because it not only put him in one of the best programs in Southern California, Sierra Canyon, but it gave him the means to weight train, to go up against elite players every single weekend on the high school scene and to get to all the camps um, where he can compete against the best players in the region, if not nationally. And what that really sparked in him is – not a laziness, not a, oh, I'm not as good as these guys. It sparked a, a real sort of like fire under him to become one of the best offensive linemen, um, not only in, the, in California, but in the country. And so, you know, last year I saw him at the Under Armour LA camp. He was very good. Um, but I think in this last year, he's really taken that step even further um, to be one of the best interior guys in the country, a guy who went to the Under Armour game really surprised a lot of people, including myself, that not only did he hold his own, um, but he was moving people at will. And I think that's what Oklahoma needs from him, from Eddie Pierre-Louis, all those guys. When they go to the SEC, um, there's going to be some big, mean, tough guys in there. Um, and it, you know, they're going to be 22, 23 years old, and he's going to be 19, 20. Can he move them there? Um, he's proven that he could definitely do it with his age range, and he's really excelled over the last year doing it even more. That is Adam Gorney, National Director of Recruiting for Rivals.com. Adam, man, definitely appreciate the time. Hey, go have yourself a bowl of soup, take care of that cold, and we'll catch up with you again soon. All right, thanks a lot, guys. See you. All right, Adam Gorney of Rivals.com. Big update today across the recruiting industry, which we will unpack more, I'm sure, in the 2 o'clock hour. 
uh, when Tyler McComas and I bring you Locked In, an hour of nothing but recruiting talk here on the Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. When we return, we will hit the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. At some point here soon, we will replay Uncle's appearance this morning on the T-Row in the it's, morning. Show it's pretty short and sweet. So. Okay. Well, that's good because Uncle does have a tendency to ramble at yes. times. So glad to hear he kept it concise this morning. All right. Lots more Sooner talk on the way. Keep it right here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. The Ref Radio Sports Network is powered statewide by the insurance adjusters at Brown O'Haver. Fire, wind, theft, or tornado, we can help. Call 405-735-5510. It's Steely and Thune at noon here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. No Steely today. Parker Thune alongside Drake Dyken. Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line always available to you at 405 651 3439. 651-3439. This hour of the program, of course, brought to you by Lasher Home Comforts Systems, family owned and operated and servicing the greater Oklahoma City area since 2007. 405-579-3113 is the number to call to get in touch with the good folks at Lasher. Home comfort you can trust. All right. Let's hear from an uncle who allegedly made an appearance this morning with Toby and TJ on the T-Row in the Morning Show. Okay. Special guest joining us live now. Good morning, special guest. I want to thank you guys for this riveting radio <laughs> conversation today. Hey, Uncle. You're welcome. You know, when I woke up, the first thing I was thinking about is, man, I hope that they talk about how many saltine crackers <laughs> T.J. Perry uses with a bowl of soup. That was number one on my list. And by the way, T.J., my experience being in bacon soup creates a smellier poop. I'm just saying. That's now, do you guys sweet. want to tell me how many saltines P.J. Adabu-Rarare or... Jackson Arnold is using that's fine. Yeah. Or what's going on with Zach Alley in the defense? Or Fair what's enough. happening with Seth Luttrell and his soup to cracker ratio? That's fine. But as for you guys, you're going to have to take that macaroni trophy and return it. That's true. That's fair. Uh, uh, we apologize, Uncle. We'll try to get it back on track here. Just run down some 40 times for the new transfers or something. It's not that difficult. Hey, we'll do. We'll do. I, right, I'm sorry. Jack. Thank you, Uncle. Still love you, but I had to chime in. All right. Get your act together. Wow, I think that's the first time I've ever heard him not close an appearance with Boomer freaking Sooner. Yeah. And it, I, it I shows like, you how, like, Ad hominem it was, him calling in. <laughs> uh, he was just disturbed by this conversation, which, yeah. As we found out, Steely might, might take uh, vacation, but Uncle never takes vacation, ever. 
we need to clip some snippet of that and then just have that on demand whenever somebody inevitably sends the talk some sports. Text. Stick to sports guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, the worst thing about having Toby and TJ lead off the day is that <laughs> it really whatever, sets the tone. Uh, gosh, whatever BS they end up sending their show off the rails for, then it's just a conversation that gets regurgitated throughout the rest of the day. Is that really a problem, though? I mean, is it? I mean, here we are talking about bean and bacon soup. How do you feel about bean and bacon soup? I have no strong opinions about have soup Have you ever in had general. bean and bacon soup? Yes, of course. Everybody's had it. Are I you just sure? I, I'm wild. I've never had bean and bacon soup, and mostly it's because of listen. I like beans. I like bacon, but the first time I had ever heard of it was T.J. Perry eating it uh, for lunch, and I just looked at it. And I was like, "That is like the least appeasing looking soup I have ever seen in my life." What is it? And he told me bean and bacon soup. Like, mm, if you like it, I'm never trying it. That's the kind of relationship TJ and I have. I'm just wildly indifferent to soup in general. Soup is one of those things where, <laughs> and Slim Brady, there's the text. Let's get back to ball, man. And we will Stick at the to top of the guy. hour. Slim Brady. We will certainly get back to ball at the top of the hour. But, see, again, this is the problem, is they start talking about soup at 642 on Tuesday morning. What happens at 12.57? We're talking about the fact that they were talking about soup. Completely off the rails. But, yeah. Look, looking ahead to hour number two, we will start talking ball again. Obviously, uh, Sooner basketball has a big week ahead. We talked about that just a little bit. We didn't talk a whole lot yesterday about the Sooner Diamond sports. Obviously, softball went 4-0 and at the Mary Nutter Classic. And that baseball team, man, they might be all right. In the year of our Lord, 2024. Yeah, they had a bit of a rough Sunday, but taking three of four and putting up as many runs as they did against a team that was in the tournament last year and has been on a regular basis in Wright State, it ain't bad. Not bad at all. And Wright State is no slouch of a program. Don't be fooled by the fact that you don't recognize their name. That's a good baseball program year in and year out. Three straight NCAA tournament appearances heading into this year for the Raiders. So again, we'll dive into Sooner Diamond Sports. I have no doubt we'll talk some Sooner football. We'll talk hoops as well. We will spend hour number two of the program talking ball, and only ball, hopefully. No promises. 405-651-3439 is the Meyer Chevrolet text line. Hit that with your questions, comments, concerns. We'll be right back with hour number two here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Sound off any time of day on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line at 405-651-3439. Right here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Sports Radio Network. Hour number two, here we go. Parker Thune alongside Drake Tyken. We're the two men today. Steely is out all week taking a vacation or as... Several listeners on the text line have speculated, and I think it's more than speculation. I think if you know Steely, there's a good degree of truth to it. More than likely taking a staycation in his 4,000-square-foot house here in Norman. It was such a random nugget that he dropped that one day that has now become a running joke on the text line. It's the size of Steely's house. 
Run that by me again, one more time. What so Steely, time? just I, this was maybe two, three weeks ago. Just casually, just I, I, I can't, re- I can't even remember what the nature of the discussion was. But mentioned in passing, Ashe and I have a four thousand square foot house on the other side of Norman. Of course, the text line is immediately going four thousand square feet. Holy smokes! And I kind of ribbed him about it. I was like, "That's your, that is that's your uh, go to humble brag, Steely? You got a four thousand square foot house." And so, at this point, it's kind of a running joke. Hour number two of the program, brought to you by Black Thunder Roofing. Locally operated in Norman and Edmond, also servicing Shawnee, Yukon, and Mustang. Your local roofer, Black Thunder Roofing, can do it all. One-stop shop for customers looking for just one contractor. BlackThunderRoofing.com or give them a call at 405-473-8028. And I figure now, as we get rolling into a new hour here, is a great time to throw some chum to the sharks. And that chum comes in the form of a press conference yesterday from one Eli Drinkwitz, in which he discussed many things, including his new left tackle, a guy that Oklahoma fans are more than familiar with. He begins with Caden Green, offensive tackle from Kansas City, um, coming to us from Oklahoma. He played in 11 games last year, had five starts. As a guy that we think has position flexibility, but will we'll begin the, the uh, spring term as a left tackle. Uh, very excited about his length, speed, uh, athleticism. Also excited about his tenacity. Uh, and it's always fun to see all the talk about him on Twitter. Confirmed. Eli Drinkwitz is a Twitter guy. A big Twitter guy. You think he's behind some of these Mizzou uh, troll accounts? Oh, if there is a college football coach out there that is a Kevin Durant level of burner (laughs) account, I mean, is there any better candidate than Eli Drinkwitz? There may not be. Maybe Muleshoe. Especially after, yeah, Muleshoe definitely is. Especially another guy that comes to mind is Jimbo Fisher. But let's face it. I, I've interacted with Texas A&M accounts that I, I just walk away from the interaction going, this has to be a Jimbo burner. Right. Text right. line, help us out. 405-651-3439 is the Knibble-Meyer Chevrolet text line. 405-651-3439. Help us power rank college football head coaches most likely to have not just one but multiple burner accounts on Twitter. That's right. Also, like, yeah, we're we're gonna be trying them out at left tackle. Yeah, you had sunk like a seven figure nil bag on them. Okay, of course you're gonna be trying them out at the most valuable spot on the offensive line. No, you, joke. you will be letting him do whatever he wants. Yes, with how much money you paid for. Yes, him. you know what's absolutely. H- you, you know what's hilarious to me is. I, and I've become increasingly cognizant of this as we've gotten deeper into the offseason. Missouri fans on Twitter, Drake, have a very odd sense of completely baseless superiority. Because if if you know anything about the history of Missouri athletics, they have no leg to stand on when they get into Twitter spats with fans of programs like Oklahoma or even Kansas, right? Because Kansas is kind of their chief rival. Needless to say, 
Kansas has been one of the most dominant basketball programs in the nation for decades. Granted, they did suck on the football field for 15 years, but national championships on national championships in the sport of basketball. Missouri has nothing to hang their hat on as an athletic department and as a fan base. They have nothing to hang their hat on in terms of actual accomplishments. And yet the way that these te- the way that these fans talk, the way that these accounts talk on Twitter, Drake, you would think Missouri is in the midst of some, like you would think Patrick Mahomes' dynastic run with the Kansas City Chiefs is somehow applicable to Missouri athletics. You let is it not? <laughs> you oh, let that I was led to believe that like everything that the Chiefs did well since they play in the state of Missouri, that it counts for Mid-Zoo, too. That doesn't count? Is that what you're telling me? Not applicable. We really let Eli Drinkwitz win 11 games. We let Missouri win 11 games, and now their fans won't shut up about how much better they are than everybody. Which, again, is objectively not true. Missouri has never won anything of substance. And it was interesting. In that press conference, Drinkwitz... Uh, he said something to the effect of nobody is content to hold the Cotton Bowl trophy. Nobody's reminiscing on fond memories of winning the Cotton Bowl. I'm like, have you checked with your fan base, Drink? Because that's the only thing they want to talk about right now. That and their blatant tampering. Tampering that they are, in fact, proud of. I'm not I'm not sure there is any fan base in college football that wears the yeah we tamper sticker on their shirt quite as proudly as Missouri. They're shameless. Slim Brady says I'm surprised the shelter insurance sponsor behind Drinkwitz hasn't been replaced by Reginald Green State Farm Insurance oh, Agency. <laughs> Low hanging fruit. Low hanging fruit. Jamie in White House says, hope Dorkwitz keeps running his mouth. Fuel for the fire. Bulletin board material. There is really no in-between anymore, Drake. Either November 9th is going to be the worst day of many OU fans in recent memory for them as far as their existence on social media, or it's going to be complete unencumbered revelry. Well, you know... I just thought of this is, you know what that is a carbon copy of? OU's going to the SEC. Bedlam is not going to continue in football anymore. There needs to be an heir apparent there. What's another team that OU has continually stuffed in a locker year after year after year? And whenever you lose to them, you just hate your existence for a full 365 days. That's OSU. Why not just make Midzoo the new OSU, the new Bedlam? I think in many ways it actually fits. Yeah. I was hoping it was going to be Arkansas because Arkansas fans are annoying. Oh, yeah. Arkansas fans are in No, no. However, they have been nothing in comparison to what Midzoo has done. Yes. And moreover, Arkansas is just bad at pretty much everything right now. I guess they have a decent baseball program. You can lay claim to that, but... Arkansas has had no success on the football field. They have been throttled two consecutive years by Porter Moser and the basketball team on the hardwood. Arkansas isn't annoying right now because they're not winning. And I guess every fan base gets more annoying when they win. 
But you're right. What I think what really ticks OU fans off about the rivalry with Oklahoma State is that when Oklahoma State gets that win once in a blue moon, right, they'll spend the entire year talking about nothing but, well, what happened last year. And you can say, I mean, what's the current series record, 91 to 20 or something like that? You can tout, you can tout the series record and championships and all that. Uh, the the discrepancies in the resumes, you can tout those all day long. But yeah. in the end, it falls on deaf ears. Yeah, I mean, OU had won like 87% of the games historically against OSU. And like a third of the games that OSU won, I think I've heard this step before. A third of them came between the Gibbs to John Blake era. That was not a very good era. No, no, and for OU football, it was the worst era of OU football since World War II. You know what just came to mind for me? Yeah, go if ahead. If Caden Green is indeed playing left tackle for Missouri this season, assuming he is healthy and active when the Sooners go to Columbia on November 9th, you know who he's in all likelihood going to be lined up across yep. from? Yep, the freak. Himself, PJ, Adapudju Adibawara. Color yeah. me intrigued. Yeah, yeah. And you know that the entire coaching staff is looking at it the same way too. The OU coaching staff, that is. I feel, and here's what I think, and I, I here's what I know. To be the case. I know there is not as much distaste for Caden Green in the locker room at Oklahoma as there is amongst the fan base because I think the players understand even more so than the fans what actually drove his decision to transfer. But I'll bet you, nonetheless, everybody in that defensive end group, everybody in Miguel Chavis's room is going to be fighting each other for reps the day that Oklahoma goes up to Columbia, Missouri, because they're all going to want a piece of Caden Green. Absolutely. You know at that point they're just not they're not just doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the University of Oklahoma. Yeah. And maybe that sounds like, well, okay, how is that different from any other Saturday? I, if you are on social media at all and you followed the Caden Green transfer saga at all and the aftermath, I think you know that this one means a little bit more. In every respect. Added fuel to the fire for those guys. Sooner Jeff says, I heard a crazy stat. There have been more men to walk on the moon than coach Oklahoma State football to a win over Oklahoma. That is <laughs> that is pretty staggering. I'm trying to fact check that in my head. And yeah, like you the, know what? I the, guess that's probably close. It, yeah, yeah, it probably is true. And I think, <laughs> do you know off the top of your head how many uh, have walked on the moon? No, I do not. I know it's in the it's in the like it's in the low teens. Seems I believe. right. And so, yeah. I, I was in the in my head ten to fifteen range. So, yeah. And the more I think about it, the more I realize, yep. Mizzou's the new Bedlam. 
at least in the here and now. You're I mean, welcome, look, Parker. If maybe, I've done nothing else this week, let that be my legacy for the week. I appreciate your contributions, as always, Drake. But I, I hope, here's what I hope. I honestly hope, for the sake of the overall interest level and the ongoing discourse on social media between Missouri fans and Oklahoma fans, I honestly hope Missouri doesn't completely go in the tank. I would like them to be mediocre, obviously, but I hope they don't go like three and nine this year and Drinkwitz gets fired because then it takes all the juice out of future matchups between Oklahoma and Missouri. And I would like this to be a game that people can look forward to every year. I would like this to be the replacement for Bedlam. I would like this to be the other rivalry game on the schedule for Oklahoma every single year. And I think it's certainly got the potential, especially if Drinkwitz sticks around. I know they got a new athletic director, but Eli did also just get a substantial extension. So they want to get out from under his contract at any point. They're going to have to pay him a lot of money to do so. All right. We'll hit a quick break. We're overdue for a timeout here in hour number two. Steely and Thune at noon. No Steely today or for the rest of the week. Drake Dykin rolling with me here up until 2 p.m., at which point we'll get locked in. Tyler McComas and I got you with another hour of straight recruiting talk. But until then, we'll keep hitting the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line for your guys' thoughts, opinions, questions, jokes. I know you got them. 405-651-3439 is the text line. Keep it right here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. A true Sooner fan wouldn't be caught dead without the KREF app. Join the Army. Get the app. Tell your friends. This is The Ref, where diehard Sooner fans listen. The show rolls on. Here on a Tuesday, you're listening to The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Parker Thune alongside Drake Dykin and all of you on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. 405-651-3439. Want to cash in on a tease that I tossed out at the end of hour number one, and that is OU Diamond Sports. Look, OU softball is the most dominant force in the sport. We know this to be the case. 67 uh, uh, straight most wins. Most dominant force in maybe all of collegiate sports right now? I, I, I'm sure that's... Not an answer that literally everyone would agree with, but I'm sure that's an answer that 80 to 90% of people who follow college athletics would agree with. You're going for a four-peat? The only people that would disagree with the notion that Oklahoma softball is the most dominant program in collegiate athletics right now are the people who have some anti-Oklahoma agenda because – you can't like it's tough to put into adequate context what they have accomplished and continue to accomplish. Three straight national titles, sixty-seven consecutive wins. Obviously, we are looking forward to Love's Field and its grand opening. By the way, how cool is that Oklahoma-shaped scoreboard? It 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 is one of the cooler ideas I've ever seen. Kudos to whoever came up with it because it's awesome. And having having worked on the other end, uh, in the behind-the-scenes aspects of broadcasting, what's most remarkable to me about that whole setup is that you have to make everything custom dimensions well, for that. N- not necessarily. No? Well, think about it this way. If you've got 
a placeholder in the panhandle and you got a placeholder on the bottom like everything else is pretty much squared off as it is that's true oklahoma is a pretty it is a pretty regular state outside of the panhandle right so but even so man what what a unique idea and great execution yeah if you were trying to fit every video to fit those dimensions though it would get interesting I feel sorry for uh, Jacob Potter and everybody at Sooner Vision if that were the case. So cool. Like, and that that right there, I think, just encapsulates the brilliance of the powers that be in the Oklahoma Athletic Department and their ability to appeal to the entire state. Because, I mean, we know this to be the case. In the state of Oklahoma, there is more pride in the state's flagship institution than arguably anywhere else Mm -hmm. in the nation. I think, and I grew up in Nebraska, I think folks up there would probably say, you know what, we have a claim. And they do. Nebraska is the only Division I athletic program that supports every single sport in the state of Nebraska. Obviously, you have uh, the University of Nebraska at Omaha. You've got Creighton. You've got other universities that play D1 sports, but all of them – Look at what they did for a volleyball game of filling up an entire football stadium. Yeah, correct. Nebraska Which, fans, they're they're cut a little bit different. They're, yeah. I think they're cut from the same cloth as Oklahoma fans in that you will get people on any given Saturday who will drive from Shadron and McCook, Nebraska, hours and hours and hours away from Lincoln, just as you'll get folks that will drive from Altus and Woodward and – Miami, Oklahoma, to come watch Altus? Center Football. Altus. Altus? Altus? Altus. Okay. Altus, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Fair enough. But come I think on, it, I, you've been in Oklahoma long enough. You got to start sounding like an Okie whenever you say all these towns, Parker. I know. Come on. I know. It's a continual learning and growth process. Listen, you've got towns like Gotibo, you've got uh, Durant, Altus, yeah. My, Alec, yeah, Alec, yeah, Gosh, that one's wild. yeah. But I think, I think what I appreciate so much about that scoreboard in Love's Field is that it it, it appeals to everybody in the Sooner State, right? It's not just OU centric; it is Oklahoma centric. It's aimed at making all Oklahomans feel as though they are represented, at least to some extent within the dynasty that is OU softball. So really looking forward to Love's Field opening up for the 2024 season. But Sooner Baseball, man, and I got the chance to watch all four games this weekend. Uh, Toby and Josh did an awesome job on the call. Uh, Their calls were simulcast on ESPN+. So if you watch the games on ESPN+, like I did, you got to hear Toby's calls on Friday and Sunday. You got to hear Josh's calls on Saturday. Uh, Sooners take three of four from Wright State. Over the weekend, final scores of twenty to zero, fourteen to nine, and ten to three in the wins. They dropped the Sunday contest twelve to two. The getaway game, if you will, the Raiders the get that getaway one. game got away from OU, and it did. It did. Uh, if there's if there's one thing that makes if makes you feel a little bit uneasy coming out of the weekend is that it was your Sunday starter Jamie hit that got roughed up. By Wright State, they tagged him early and often and made him pay for some pitches that were just a little too fat, caught a little too much of the plate. But all in all, 
really, really strong pitching performances from both the Sooner starters and from the bullpen. Brendan Gurton didn't have the greatest of outings, but Kyson Witherspoon was excellent. Uh, the Sooners got some big innings from several relievers. Uh, Carter Campbell, Carson Atwood, uh, Grant Stevens, he did a, a surrender a home run but looked sharp otherwise. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to run down in my head all the different relievers that made appearances. Skip Johnson got the luxury of digging pretty deep into his bullpen and not having to overextend to anybody, yeah, which is I, good. You want I, to get looks at a lot of different arms. Absolutely. I think the thing that stands out to me as far as this squad goes is Skip talked about it a lot before the season that he thought he felt like this would be a club that would be pretty live when it came to the bats. And so far, aside from getting shut out uh, for the season opener against Oregon, they've been pretty lively to start the season. That they have. And, you know, like you said, Skip has gotten an opportunity to throw guys out there, especially against Wright State this weekend, and give guys opportunities to go get outs. And for the most part, except for it going sideways on you Sunday, a lot of those guys delivered. And if there's one thing that most people out there would agree about it's that skip johnson most likely if he's got the guns in there he's going to figure out your your pitching situation whether it be your starters your relievers what have you he's got the track record the acumen to figure out if he's got the guys where to put them and how to get their heads right. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the best pitching coaches in the nation. There's a reason yeah. why Clayton Kershaw will work with that guy in the offseason. Skip is very highly regarded as a pitching coach. But, yeah, I mean, the most most impressive thing out of the weekend, and shouts out to Braden Davis as well, six scoreless innings on Friday. Yeah, really, really good start for him. And, again, the Sooners got the chance to see a lot of their bullpen arms. Uh, we didn't see James Nesta, which I was kind of bummed by. I'm like, come on, show me the freshman. Let's go. Two-sporter. He is on the Sooner baseball roster this spring. Taylor Tatum is not because he has yet to enroll, but James Nesta is with the baseball program this spring. Uh, But I thought the most impressive thing was easily the Sooners' offensive onslaught. And, you know, I kind of figured when they they hung 20 runs on the board Friday, it's like, okay, that's that's a good start. Yeah. Great start. Like, it's nice to score 20 runs. It's unsustainable, but... Nice to hang a big number on the scoreboard, get things rolling on Friday. But the Sooners were just as impressive offensively on Saturday in that doubleheader, in both ends of the doubleheader, as they were on Friday. Again, Sunday kind of got away from them in many ways. But it all starts at the top of the lineup with John Spikerman. Man, he is a superstar. And he's been that dude since midway through his freshman season when he emerged as Oklahoma's starting right fielder. Lead-off yeah, hitter, he was key in their run to the College yeah. World Series and to the uh, championship series therein. But he's just gotten better and better and better over the last two years, yeah. hitting 500 yeah. and even 500 through he the first was, seven games. He was akin to the spark that Cade Horton gave to the rotation going towards the end of the season in that year. He was that for the lineup that season. And he had... A very big sophomore slump last year and really struggled offensively for a good portion of it. It is awesome to see him bounce back the way that he has so far this season because he is 
He's basically hitting the cover off the ball right now. And one of the shifts that I've noticed in the composition of Skip's lineup over the last few years is that more and more what you're seeing is top to bottom, you have guys that are capable of going yard at any given moment. I remember watching OU baseball in 18, 19, even 20, and there were some dudes in the starting lineup that you just knew they were in the lineup because they could poke a single here and there, not because they were any significant threat to park one over the fence. And what impresses me about Skip's lineup right now is that everybody has that potential. We saw Scott Mudler go yard over the weekend. Anthony McKenzie hit a home run. Kendall Pettis went deep. But it's not as if all those Spikerman guys are, hit a home like, run. Oh, dude, he, dude he Spikerman hit a tape measure bomb. Yeah. Yeah, uh, holy Brewster, smokes! Brewster on the call actually said, "I think that he might have hit the daycare out there." Uh, yeah, he he hit one like I think it was four sixty five, is what they said. Yeah, it's one of the farthest balls I've ever seen hit at Eldale Mitchell Park, yeah. and and that was to lead off the game one, wasn't it? It was on Saturday. Yeah. Yes. So again, all these guys have the capacity to go deep, but they're not just home run hitters. They can work pitchers. They can work counts. They can foul balls off repeatedly. They can get on base, whether via walk or via base hit. Bryce Madrin walked four times in game one of the doubleheader on Saturday. So, look, you try not to draw too many conclusions this early on in the season, but I think it's safe to say that if the Sooners are half the offensive team that they have been to this point in the year through seven games the rest of the way, then they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in their final year in the Big 12. As long as the pitching comes along, and you know it will, under Skip Johnson, this Oklahoma team feels like one that could – and look, I I don't know if I'm comfortable saying that they could make a run to the College World Series because that's just a very difficult thing to do. And, you know, after they were the national runner-up in 2022, everybody was saying, oh, we'll get them next year, we'll be back next year. It the college baseball postseason is a very difficult one to navigate. And it's why very seldom do you see programs that aren't at the tip of the top nationally making repeated trips to Omaha year in and year out. It is tough to navigate that tournament and end up one of the final eight and making it to Omaha once again. That's why I I, I was never really a believer that the Sooners were going to be right back to Omaha in 2023. But I will say this team that Skip has fielded in 2024 has a much better chance of going that far or threatening seriously to go that far than they did a season ago in 2023. All right, we're overdue for a break. When we come back, more Sooner Talk, more texts from the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. Hour 2 of the program brought to you by Black Thunder Roofing blackthunderroofing.com, or give them a call at 405-473-8028. Steely and Thune at noon with the Drake rolls on next. The home of Sooner fans. Home for Sooner recruiting coverage. Home of your Sooner game day voices. Home of the best pre- and post-game coverage. Join the movement. Download the free KRF app now to listen anywhere, anytime. We are where diehard Sooner fans listen. Winding down on the Tuesday edition of Steely and Thune at noon. Steely is out. Drake Dyken is in alongside me, Parker Thune, on this Tuesday afternoon. 
This hour of the program brought to you by Black Thunder Roofing, blackthunderroofing.com or 405-473-8028. And you can hit the Knibblemeyer Chevrolet text line with all of your thoughts, questions, comments, opinions, 405-651-3439. Uh, quick detour to the professional ranks because if you keep up with NFL football, and more specifically, Sooners in the NFL. No doubt you were frustrated with the way that the Denver Broncos used, or rather, more accurately, didn't use Marvin Mims in 2023. As a rookie, he was dynamite in the return game. Averaged 26.5 yards per kick return, 16.4 yards per punt return. But as a receiver... And obviously, that's what he was known for at Oklahoma. He did factor into the return game, yes, but he was the A1 go-to guy in the Oklahoma offense for three straight seasons from the time he was a true freshman. It finally appears to be taking root in Denver, the idea that, okay, maybe we ought to get Marvin Mims some more looks within our offense. Now, Sean Payton... It's amazing what an impressive... Showing at Pro Bowl week will do for you, right? Oh, did that happen? Yeah. I don't pay attention to Pro Bowl week at all, Drake. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Th- th- come on, Parker. That was like that was like the one conversation came out of it is that Marvin Mims really impressed a lot of people. <laughs> um, and it's like, it's like, guys, I think that all GMs, all coaches get so hung up on measurables and they all seem to think like oh well I'm the smartest guy in the room and if this guy doesn't like I'll draft him because I think that he can really help us in special teams because of this metric that I've had okay well you are going to get even better value with a guy like Marvin Mims because he is somebody that can be a consistent playmaker for you. He's not going to be a C.D. Lamb caliber of wide receiver to where he is going to be leading the NFL in basically every statistical category. But he can be a very, very effective option for your offense. And I think that so many NFL franchises get so hung up on measurables because – What's the one thing that Marvin Mims doesn't have going for him? He's not that tall. That's right. He's not that tall. And what do NFL GMs love in wide receivers? They love them to be 6'3", 6'4", have a wingspan that's about 6'10", can jump out of the gym, all those things. Sometimes a guy is just a really good football player. And... NFL GMs and coaches get too hung up on measurables. Well, and it's not exclusive to NFL GMs and coaches either, right? Like, I think you see this in the collegiate game with with regard to recruiting because everybody everybody wants to find the next Calvin Johnson, right? Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, the next Calvin Johnson doesn't exist. There was one of that guy, and he's been retired for eight years. Sometimes there are aliens. Sometimes there are guys without comparisons. Sometimes there are guys that will not have a suitable comp for 
decades, even generations to come. And so the new thing, the novel thing in recruiting is kind of one of those. Well, yeah, the novel thing in recruiting and scouting. And I think the advent of analytics has encouraged this is that more and more evaluators and recruiters and people in the personnel department at both the collegiate and the professional level are looking for the freak athletes with the freakish traits, right? They're trying to find the guy that is six foot five and has the wingspan, has the vertical jumping ability and the speed. And, you know, maybe he's somewhat unrefined as a football player, but if he's that good an athlete, you can teach him football, right? That's right. It's, and look, that's what the—that's uh, right. That's what they think. That's not the <laughs> well, right yes. method. If yes. anybody has proven it out over the course of the years, it's the Raiders franchise. If there's any and, franchise that has taught the NFL that you can't just go off of guys' measurables and teach them how to play the game off of his four-four at forty time or his forty-eight inch vertical, it is. Absolutely. The Davis family and the Raiders that can teach us like Darius Hayward Bay. That's right. Jacoby Ford. That's right. Denarius Moore. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can go you can go on down the list. But the point is, yes, you're I I think Oklahoma has a really good example. Well, two completely diametric counterexamples as to why you can't espouse one such philosophy and go all in with it. You can't recruit a roster full of just freak athletes and count on them having success, count on being able to unlock their football potential. Because when you look at Oklahoma's stable of defensive ends, maybe the two most exciting guys, maybe not the two best, but two most exciting, two highest ceiling guys heading into 2024 are who? P.J. and R. Mason Thomas. P.J. is six foot four has a wingspan of almost seven feet. And when you go back and you look at some of the combine metric times, like the the combine drills that he did at the Future 50 in July of 2022 as a rising senior in high school, they would have ranked pretty high at the NFL combine. Mm -hmm. So PJ is one of those dudes that is just a sheer physical freak. He is one of those guys that you look at and you go, okay, like if assuming you can hammer out some of the imperfections and impurities in his technique, because he had only played one year of defensive end to that point. If you can hammer out some of those imperfections, he's got all American NFL Hall of Fame even type right. of potential. But but that's that's a guy that has proven to have great Football instincts, too, Correct. Though, that had the production. The big problem is that there's so many of these coaches and GMs that think that they're about to crack the Da Vinci Code. Well, you know, this guy didn't really have success <laughs> at uh, in college. He was really just mediocre. But look at him. I mean, he's 6'4". He can throw the football a quarter mile. I mean... What are we even talking about here? Of course we're going to draft this guy. I can, we can put a system and figure out how to fix him. Here's where I'm going, though. It's great to have a guy like P.J. on your roster. 
you can't have 10 PJs on your roster because not all of those 10 PJs are going to pan out. And obviously on any roster, not any of the 10 guys you have in a specific position group are going to pan out anyway. But if all you recruit are PJs, well, then you don't even pay attention to a guy like R. Mason Thomas, who came to Oklahoma severely underdeveloped. Six foot two, and when he showed up on campus, he was 216 pounds. Six two, 216, at that point, you're closer to a safety than a defensive end. And it didn't freaking matter because from day one, R. Mason Thomas was the meanest SOB on the practice field for Oklahoma. There's a reason why that at 6'2", 222, he put on all of six pounds before his freshman year started. At 6'2", 222, he was getting early and important rotational snaps for Oklahoma at the edge position. So you can't always bank on physical traits being the determinant, the sole determinant of a guy's potential. Sometimes you just got to take the chance on the football player. And that was the one thing that if you watched RMT's high school tape, man, he was a football player. Maybe not the most physically gifted in terms of his stature and frame and all that. But man, when the pads went on, he was mean as all get out. And Oklahoma got a gem flipping him from Iowa State on National Signing Day. So I think you you get that dichotomy illustrated very nicely when you look at Oklahoma's defensive end room. And no doubt Miguel Chavis is going to be thrilled to be able to roll out both P.J. and R. Mason Thomas, two similarly dominant players that are cut from very different cloth in 2024. All right, we'll be back to wrap up Steely and Thune at noon coming up next. Parker Thune alongside Drake Dyken with you on a Tuesday. Send in your final thoughts on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text on 405-651-3439. We'll hit him next here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. The home of Sooner fans. Home for Sooner recruiting coverage. Home of your Sooner game day voices. Home of the best pre- and post-game coverage. Join the movement. Download the free KRF app now to listen anywhere, anytime. We are where diehard Sooner fans listen. Back for one final segment here on a Tuesday. Parker Thune, Drake Dyken with you. Steel Man and Thune at noon without the Steel Man this week. 405-651-3439 is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. As we wrap up, there was a listener in the 918 that asked, and I get this question a lot. I guess it's a fair question. How slash why did Parker end up in Oklahoma? Well, as many of you know, I grew up in the state of Nebraska, but I was born to a pair of OU grads. Both my parents attended the University of Oklahoma, and so growing up, I always wanted to attend the University of Oklahoma. And so when it came time to make that collegiate decision, I could have gone and played small-time college baseball somewhere, or I could go to OU and do what I kind of always wanted to do, get a jump start on the career path. And so that's what I did. So I guess the question is, are your parents originally from the Nebraska area? How'd they end up at OU? Well, or how did they end up in Nebraska? They came roughly equal distances to the University of Oklahoma. My dad grew up in Omaha. So, yes, he is a Nebraskan. 
Uh, my mom grew up in the Houston area, Cyprus. She went to Cy Fair High School, which that's the same uh, same high school, by the way, as four-star defensive lineman and current Oklahoma target Landon Rink. Uh, it all in the ties back class. together. To yeah, how about recruiting. that? That's right, baby. How about that? Love that. Can do that every, pretty much every single cycle because Cy Fair always has several dudes that are uh, nationally regarded recruits, and oftentimes Oklahoma's in the mix for them. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how I ended up in Oklahoma at the University of Oklahoma, and grow, and that's why I grew up watching Jason White and Adrian Peterson and Sam Bradford and Demarco Murray instead of. Oh gosh! See, I really have to try to think about which Nebraska players were relevant in during my childhood. And Dominican Sue—that was about it. And Dominican yeah. Sue and Alex Henry, the kicker, uh, Prince Amu Amukamara. Is that uh, the former cornerback? Yeah, there? yeah. Prince Levante Amukamara. David. Levante David's had a nice career. Yeah, but uh, yeah, for as long as I can remember, Nebraska football has been and also ran. I missed the big twelve. What's curious is how it is. Uh, we'll have to talk about it tomorrow because we're out of time. But how it is that your dad ended up moving out of the state of Nebraska to go to OU? Because when he went to school, Nebraska was Nebraska in football. National Merit Scholarship. That's ah, how. There we go. There we go. Baby. That's how. He was. Well, I guess I was pre-born. I was a Borens baby. That's why I'm here. Glad for it. Proud of it. All right, that's all the time we have on this Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon for another two hours of Steely and Thune at noon, or rather, the Drake and Thune at noon. Tyler McComas joins me next for Locked In. Keep it here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. For the latest recruiting and Sooner news, catch Tyler McComas and Parker Thune on Locked In. Weekday afternoons from 2 to 3, right here on your home for Sooner fans, the Ref Sports Radio Network.